This is The Trend, where you'll get an enlightened perspective on trending news and topics with amazing commentary. I am your host, RTL Faith. Welcome back to the podcast. I do appreciate everybody listening in today. Of course, if you do enjoy, support your boy, rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure to visit our website. This is a platform that I plan to make to incentivize discussion debate and solutions make sure you guys visit www.thetrendwithrtlfaith.com appreciate it so we got a great episode for you guys here today Uh, a lot of topics to go over we're going to go over of course um the moore v harper situation with the supreme court decision a lot of uh different interpretations of what's going on i'm just gonna go off the facts and then i'm gonna let you know my opinions about it afterwards we're gonna talk about uh the state of anime and manga today the unfortunate uh death of the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh, and how manga may be going in a very uh potentially bad situation we'll see we'll talk about it We're going to talk about the unfortunate death of Shinzo Abe, a former Japanese prime minister. And we're going to end the podcast off talking about my seven solutions for gun violence in America. I know I've talked about it quite a bit, but after learning so much, I have seven solutions that I do think could be viable, viable solutions. So before we dive into any of that, I have a new segment before the main segments, and that is called the Positivity Segment. It's basically a segment where we're going to release some good news, some positive news, some uplifting news. I know the media and social media is all filled with negativity and this podcast these discussions are meant to breed understanding and try to breed kindness at the same time and although that news needs to be talked about there is some positivity that should be shared as well so this is the recent art um relatively recent article i saw in regards to a police officer i know police officer getting some good coverage it doesn't happen often we know why so this is a police officer. He's actually a relatively new police officer. He's a deputy, um, and he's a black man. Oh, man, two for two. A police officer that's a black man? Kind of crazy. And he did something spectacular. After he got done with training, he got a uh, call, and there was uh, some kids that were uh, drowning from a pool, and they were put out the side of the pool. And he showed up just in time. He gave some CPR. There were twins, actually. The mother was CPRing uh, one her son or daughter. And the police officer, Greg Countryman, America, Countryman, America. Yeah, I know, kind of cliche. But he gave CPR to the other kid, and they both ended up surviving. He felt very appreciative. He uh, kind of praised that he was able to save a life because they went to the hospital. He checked up on him. So it's a feel-good story. I know it's crazy. We don't really talk justice about all the good things that cops and black people do in America, but they do do a lot of good things, and this is just an example of it. So I felt like a need to share it so people are uh, get some good news, some kind news, save some kids' lives, and that's what matters. All right, so we got the positivity in order. 
let's dive into some of these topics first let's dive into the more v harper situation now i saw some tiktoks regarding it and i'm always skeptical skeptical in terms of tiktoks and what they say on tiktok a lot of it is very opinionated very uh rushed information some lies some missing facts some exaggerations that's what tiktok that's what youtube is a lot of the time so i looked into the case because obviously it's an important case so i looked into the supreme case more v harper and i read it i read what is going on i read the cases related to it and i kind of found out what's going on now although i do think there are some exaggerations in terms of more v harper because there are some nuances that was talked about in terms of what this case is in terms of the extremes which is dangerous the extremes of this case could be very dangerous to democracy and that's a big point because people said democracy is in danger because of this case and it could be keyword parentheses parentheses could it could be very dangerous and that's something that was reiterated multiple times from political officials and justices but we're going to go through it so the case for morby harper centers around north carolina i did not know north carolina was wilding like that apparently they were so the basic idea is it revolves around gerrymandering if you don't know what gerrymandering is it is basically when uh people realign the election electoral um uh maps for voting and they realign it every 10 years and there are some political bias gerrymandering where they make it so the maps favor a certain political side in north carolina they're mostly republican so they do what they can to potentially uh align it more of a republican uh map in terms of voting and that is the issue here because some uh democrats in north carolina believe that this time that the republicans were trying to favor in terms of republican voters and that was a big issue so that is what uh, political gerrymandering is some people talk about racial gerrymandering racial gerrymandering is actually unconstitutional so they are not allowed political gerrymandering is the question because there's a lot of uh nuance with uh partisan gerrymandering because there's really no true instances in the constitution that indicates that it's bad but it does indicate that if it goes too far it's unconstitutional so it's one of those gray areas where you have to find the line racial gerrymandering is unconstitutional certain ways of partisan political gerrymandering is constitutional hope you guys understand what i'm talking about regarding that so this went in it went to the courts the courts deem it hey yeah you this map is not good redraw the map and one of the north carolina reps was like nah fam i don't like that he took it to the supreme court and he wanted to enforce the idea of uh i think it's believe independent state legislator theory and this is the crux of why people are saying democracy might die because there's some consideration of implementing this theory so people kind of attribute this theory as a republican radical uh legal theory and 
in terms of its extremes, they are correct about that. This is definitely a radical theory because it completely construes the idea of democracy. So the idea behind this theory is that state legislators and only state legislators have the right to congressional elections, meaning that the executive branch, which would be state governors, do not have power to involve themselves with these elections or um, gerrymandering maps. And the state courts have no power to influence uh, these elections or these gerrymandering maps, meaning the power to veto for the governor will basically be taken away. And the power to um, appeal some of the things that are done that are potentially unconstitutional in their eyes or corrupt in their eyes or illegal in their eyes, the state courts have no influence over it as well. So all the power and influence in terms of uh, elections and in terms of like creating congressional uh, yeah, maps, state maps, or all would be in the power of state legislation, which means the Senate and the uh, representatives for this particular state. So obviously there's a problem with that because there's really no checks and balances and the United States foundation is very intertwined with checks and balances. That's the purpose of us having three uh, branches in the government anyway. And their idea, their excuse for why this theory is plausible is because the Constitution indicates that a lot of the elections in terms of the, the state level should be only in the state legislation hand. And they have some logic that they apply to it. So obviously, when it comes down to it, if a state is mostly Republican or if a state is mostly Democrat, if this theory was implemented, it, you could argue that it would permanently always be republican or democrat there is no influence there's no power to challenge these representatives because the state legislators the representatives themselves if they align republican or democrat have nobody checking them they can make sure they influence the maps to always get republican votes they can make sure they put in laws or do things in the election that will always empower republican votes same thing with the other side. You could say make the same exact argument from Democrat elections and Democrat votes and Democrat maps. So this is bad for both sides and beneficial for both sides. Regardless, the key thing about the United States of America at the end of the day is checks and balances and voter uh, power. And this definitely limits voter power. It puts way too much power in the state legislation and it completely ruins the um ability of checks and balances so that is the part that a lot of people are concerned with for good reason but something that people are not indicating is that this is the extreme ideology of this theory it has been noted from the supreme court justices that they could implement this theory but only part of it so the idea is that if they do implement this theory they will not implement the entire theory but they could implement parts of the theory now what part will they implement not really sure i'm sure it still will give the state legislation more power but it's still at the end of the day my thing is it still would create somewhat of an imbalance 
Now, I don't think they should implement this at all. But the idea from the Supreme Court justice is that they're trying to give more power back to the states and make it less self-reliant on the federal government. Another take on this is that they want more um, productivity in terms of the government because a lot of people feel it's very stagnant. But regardless, the efficiency behind the United States of America, at the end of the day, whether you agree with it or not, is and will always be its ability to check each other in terms of the three branches. It keeps things structured and it kind of alleviates outright dictatorship. So I completely disagree with the premise that this would be a good idea. Um, what parts would they implement? I have no idea. Would they give even giving more power to the state legislation is still iffy depends on what powers you give them so it's the idea is they could implement it um the idea is they may implement part of the theory but not the entire theory is what was said and at the end of the day i do agree with the premise that if the extremes were implemented it would destroy democracy that is a fact so yeah, those are some things that you should be aware of in terms of the Moore v. Harper case and the solution. They're still deciding upon it in the Supreme Court right now what to do. It definitely seems more of a Republican idea, but to say the Democrats won't benefit from it is also false. So they definitely would benefit from it. I think they're more pissed off that it was a Republican idea more so than anything else. But if the people really care about United States of America, if you really did care about it, you probably wouldn't want this theory to be implemented. More details when it comes out. I might cover it. I might not, but we'll see. So that is something you guys should be aware of. Now we are on the same page in regards to Moore v. Harper. Moving on to the next case. Um, another kind of very important political situation, of course, is in regards to Japan. If you are currently not aware, Jap Japan had a big tragedy that happened recently shinzo abe i believe is how you say it was recently assassinated and what makes this so crazy is that the fact that it not only is it a political assassination something that hasn't happened in years in terms of like a lot of these developed nations i mean even america they're trying but political assassinations haven't been something that's been relatively common but in japan it's really surprising considering how strict their gun laws are considering they don't really have shootings in japan because of um it's considered like one of the safer nations in the world and it was just out of nowhere now the person who did it um apparently he said that he, abe was aligned with a group that he was dissatisfied with and that his shotgun that he used to uh, commit the crime was also self-made. And he made some other self-made guns that are also at his house. Now, that's all the details. It's very unfortunate. This guy was a part of the uh, Liberal Democratic Party for Japan. Now, I don't know the details in terms of which group Abe was aligned with that was uh, caused his death. I don't know if there's a big conspiracy behind this, of course. It is kind of worrying in Japan, and not only in Japan, but Canada as well, that more and more people are making their own weaponry. If you didn't know, in, in Canada, people are making 3D printing guns. Like, they're 3D printing guns. So, 
in Canada, they're making gun laws way more restrictive as well. But now if you could just make your own gun, that makes things very dangerous, especially if you start applying that to America. If America wants to make things much more restrictive, of course, but then people are not only are they able to legally obtain it from others, third party sources, but if they start 3D printing guns, there is really absolutely no way to check that. So what is the solution with that? I'm, I have I have no idea if that actually becomes like a large thing. I have no idea how you check that. Will they limit 3D printing? That will I'll be that'll be bad because there's so many benefits to 3D printing. It's just like bad people use it for bad purposes, which is a similar argument that has been used for guns for the longest time. So that you know, unfortunate situation. So I again we'll wait for more details in terms of the Shinzo Abe situation, very similar to the Morvi Harper situation, but those are the two like political things that are happening recently uh, that are very unfortunate and game-changing in both. Obviously, game-changing is Japan, that one of the former prime ministers was assassinated. Something like this hasn't happened in years. And Morvi Harper could change the landscape of democracy and voting in America, period. Game-changing stuff that is happening that I felt you guys should know about. All right, let's take a little step back and talk about a little bit more nerd stuff because I do enjoy my geeky things. So, more tragic news. I know, 2022-2021 has not been pleasant by any means. The creator of Yu-Gi-Oh! has uh, recently passed away. And basically what the happened is that he was either snorkeling or he was about to go snorkeling. And something happened and he was found dead on the water or on his boat. I forget which one which, but he's unfortunately passed away due to some potential accident is the idea as of right now. And it's definitely unfortunate because he created Yu-Gi-Oh! And Yu-Gi-Oh! Although it's a very popular anime and manga, what makes Yu-Gi-Oh! so amazing so entertaining is how it transcends anime and manga it is a absolutely entertaining card game and you can make it an entertaining video game it it's definitely a franchise that i don't know if he expected it to be such a big franchise but it is a cemented franchise that will survive the test of time it is so fun it when it comes to like fantasy card games nothing even compares to Yu-Gi-Oh! it is part of my childhood for sure i own Yu-Gi-Oh! cards i battled my friends time and time throughout my life i've downloaded some Yu-Gi-Oh! video games even now Yu-Gi-Oh! is relatively popular with Yu-Gi-Oh! master duel being something that's uh people are playing as of right now now it did get kind of like overwhelming once we got past like season two gen two of Yu-Gi-Oh! with all the Synchro Double Ultimate Fusion Summon. It just kind of got overwhelming. But at the end of the day, if you just want to play Season 1, Generation 1, I got you. Let's do it. It is a fun game. And that is undeniable. When you think about it, right? When you think about Yu-Gi-Oh! In terms of the game, and you compare it to like other anime, in terms of gaming. So card gaming, video gaming, whatever. Yu-Gi-Oh is definitely up there. Like if I had to compare Yu-Gi-Oh to some, let's let me I'm going to spitball some for me and for people who are listening, right? So you got Yu-Gi-Oh or uh let's say 
Yu-Gi-Oh or Bleach games. Yu-Gi-Oh washes Bleach. Yu-Gi-Oh versus Naruto game. Naruto Ninja Storms were fire, but Yu-Gi-Oh beats it. Like Yu-Gi-Oh is way more timeless. You can play it forever. You can. Oh my! The card game Yu-Gi-Oh outbeat outdoes the Naruto card game. Yu-Gi-Oh versus like Isekai games where you can like join in RPG. Yu-Gi-Oh beats those games too. I don't care. Yu-Gi-Oh. The fact that it can become a full-fledged card game, and then you can make it also a online card game with like fantasy monsters and all that with implemented and intricate strategy but even beyond that you can also make it a role-playing game with you being a duelist and exploring the Yu-Gi-Oh world and its vastness it trumps naruto it just does it trumps the rpg anime games sorry genshin sorry final fantasy get out of here Yu-Gi-Oh got you um Dragon Ball games. Let's talk about it. Yu-Gi-Oh games or Dragon Ball games? Dragon Ball definitely has some crazy fighting games. Budokai Tenkaichi, G, Budokai 1, 2, and 3, Fighter Z, Xenoverse. Dragon Ball has a lot of good fighting games. But if I had to get rid of Dragon Ball games or Yu-Gi-Oh, Dragon Ball, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Yu-Gi-Oh got it. Yu-Gi-Oh is better than Dragon Ball games. Now, this is this is the tough one. I think there's only one franchise in terms of like anime-based games that can challenge Yu-Gi-Oh. One franchise. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. There's one franchise that can challenge Yu-Gi-Oh. Pokemon. Pokemon. All right. So, Pokemon, right? You got Pokemon Go. You got the ability to travel around the streets with your phone and catch Pokemon. Fair enough. Not as immersive as like a Yu-Gi-Oh card game, I would I would say. Because like Yu-Gi-Oh card game is just a Yu-Gi-Oh card game. Whereas you just pretend Pokemon, you're not throwing a Pokeball. You're just using your phone to do everything and just walking. Not as immersive. But still pretty good. You got Pokemon Red, Blue, Diamond, Silver, Gold, a million color Pokemon games. Fair enough. Pokemon definitely has some other Nintendo games and other console games, maybe, where you can like play as a character and battle people on like tournaments and whatnot. Fair enough. Really good catalog. We can all agree. I think what po I think what would put Pokemon Over the Edge is if it had a top tier, fully immersive Pokemon RPG game. Where it's a fully immersive MMO. Is, is it? I always forget the difference between MMO, RPG, RPG, and all that stuff. But a fully immersive Pokemon world. Where other people can join. It is like actually a good game. You can catch Pokemon and battle. There's always been attempts. Like there, there's so much iterations for some stuff like uh, Minecraft and Roblox. But it needs. If it has that. Pokemon got it. Because that's the only thing it's missing. But. I would argue. Yu-Gi-Oh. 
Because the Pokemon cards do not count. It's not a game. It's literally just a collection piece. I would argue Yu-Gi-Oh! is a better game in experience. What it doesn't have is it does not have as much variety as Pokemon. Because Pokemon has all the different colors. It's constantly coming out with a different color and different creatures in Pokemon. And also another thing that Pokemon has that Yu-Gi-Oh! definitely takes a step back in later iterations is it's way simpler no matter what generation you're playing on. The only thing about Pokemon with the later generations is you may just you may not know the Pokemon. That's it. Whereas Yu-Gi-Oh! The later gen- later iterations and later generations of Yu-Gi-Oh! It's still Yu-Gi-Oh! But it gets way more complicated with the different ways to play. So that's probably the one of the big downfalls of Yu-Gi-Oh! Is that it gets way too complicated later on. Right? And obviously there's cards you don't know. But if you do know all those rules and everything, especially from like generation one and two, it's way more immersive, way more entertaining, a lot more strategy, a lot more ways to play with less like cards. You know, Pokemon is very simple. You collect your Pokemon, has the same amount of abilities, and you try to beat your opponent. Whereas the card game has so many intricacies. I would argue. You could crucify me if you want. I would argue the Yu-Gi-Oh card game, video game, all of the gaming with Yu-Gi-Oh anime is better than Pokemon. Pokemon is a better franchise, but I think in terms of gaming experience, I think Yu-Gi-Oh is better than Pokemon. To so, A, hey, if you want, you can crucify me. Go ahead, but that is what it is another thing i want to touch upon in terms of anime since we're on the topic is the state of manga and anime today if you guys haven't heard one punch man is ending now anime expo did talk about a lot of anime that are coming back bleach is coming back as the new art come in chainsaw man with uh it's coming solo leveling got a pv uh blue lock anime i believe was talked about so a lot of anime are coming but at the same time there's a lot of series ending. One Punch Man, One Piece, Black Clover, My Hero Academia, Jujutsu Kaisen, Mashal. Uh, a lot of series are ending. Some series are coming back, but I don't think they're coming back for long, like Hunter Hunter and Berserk. So a lot of series are coming to a close. And these are big series, right? These are monument. These are generation defining series these are genre defining series that are coming to an end and it makes you think like what is the state of manga going to be in a few years from now when everything is done it really doesn't have a big series to kind of carry it and long-running series to carry it now it's in a new space of anime that a lot of series are much shorter and much more to the point But will that be a good thing in terms of long-standing and dedicated fans, right? Spy X Family, for example, it's a a couple, it's, I don't know how long it plans to be. I think it's in the either 60s or 90s for manga. I'm caught up with the manga and the anime came out huge following, but the anime won't be here forever. It'll be here and then we'll be gone and it's, nobody's going to talk about it when it leaves. 
Demon Slayer. It was here, gone. Well, Demon Slayer is still here because the anime is going to keep on coming out. Every time Demon Slayer is here, it's going to keep on coming out. Attack of Titan's almost over too. But once it's here, it'll be here and then it'll be gone. Whereas the the connectivity and the inclusion and the like caringness that fans have for these longer series. For example, Bleach, One Piece, Naruto, Black Clover, My Hero Academia fairy tale these fans will forever talk about this series these fans will over will forever be dedicated to these series anytime something comes out they'll be the first ones there right the thing is these shorter series don't won't have that and that is my big thing in terms of the industry now one thing you could argue that is a benefit in terms of anime and manga is the inclusion of webtoons. Solo Eleven just got an anime announcement. Tower of God has its anime, No Bless, and God of High School. Now, I think they need to continue Tower of God. Tower of God anime wasn't that bad. Actually, it was not that bad. God of High School needs to be redone. Or at the very least, if you plan to just come back with it, slow down with the pacing. Uh, no Bless, it is what it is, I guess. I didn't watch it, but I read the entire thing. Solo leveling, take your time. And then there's so many other series you can come, bring it here, make great anime. Hardcore leveling warrior, unordinary would be really good. Uh Jungle Juice was a good one that I read. So there's so many series that they can take from the webtoon and manya and manhwa industry and make it fulfilling animes with dedicated fan base. So it can definitely diversify with other cultures and bring in their animes to make potential good television. As long as it sticks to the story that was written and the animation's good. Those are the big things. Or actually or at least watchable. So will it have the dedicated fans that will be absolutely in love with certain series? Probably not moving forward in the later years. Probably not. But as long as it gets more quality content, uh diverse content, different type of content, it should be fine as long as they're willing to do that so yeah those are some of my opinions in terms of anime and manga stuff but speaking of the violence that comes with anime let's wrap it up by talking about my seven solutions in terms of gun violence now, before we dive into this, I do want to kind of give you guys an update. So the podcast is doing, you know, very well. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, like I said, I have a website where you can go watch all the podcast episodes. It will have my YouTube videos on there. Uh, you can send me comments. You can email me. You can uh, even be a guest on future episodes if you want to have a genuine discussion about different topics. So all that information is on the website, as I said, www.thetrendwithrtlfaith.com. Very simple. And moving forward, I plan to uh, make some very interesting changes. Eventually, I plan to publish two times a week to bring out more content, and these will involve guests. So later episodes, will have more and more guests to bring about very uh, dynamic discussions, interviews, dialogues, debates on solutions among different things that are going on in the world. So that's something to look into. That's something to be prepared for. 
do appreciate you guys supporting and continue to support this i sort of got i plan to make this the greatest podcast in the world so the only way to do that is for you guys to help me out appreciate it all right so my seven solutions for gun control as i said prior i'm not democrat i'm not republican i'm not liberal I'm not conservative i'm in the middle and i want solutions based on logic and understanding now my solutions could evolve of course they can but i do think these are viable solutions so i have seven solutions for gun violence in america my first solution more security now one thing i do not understand that people will say all the time is like well, i don't want security because i don't want someone with a gun near me that is one of the dumbest logics i've ever heard because if you are famous and rich one of the things that you definitely invest in is a bodyguard one of the things that people invest in when they're going to a private event is a bodyguard one of the one of the things that they invest in when they're take tell uh sh- taking their kids to a very famous and notable event is a bodyguard. So why is it when it comes to schools that they don't have a bodyguard? I don't understand the double standards. It's like people don't think they just get offended. <laughs> like if I t- if I want my kid to go to school. I want them to have protection. I don't want, I, I, let me be very clear. I do not want teachers to have guns. I want trained professionals to be there. As I said in other videos or other podcast episodes, I went to a school that had police there. And it was a good thing they were there because it's protection. Now, one thing to add on to this, I want trained individuals to be the security and another topic in mind is how police is definitely not trained as good as they should be you know who is trained as good as they should be veterans veterans who need a job adding more jobs to the job field is not a bad thing right put like veterans are homeless and everything imagine if they decided to retire and one of the jobs they can do automatically is be a security guard for a school Right? Obviously, they need to pass a psych eval. Once they pass the psychological test, then they're all game, bro. They're all game to protect the kids. More security at public events in schools is not a bad thing. Like, it is blows my mind why protection it has some weird double standard. Like, we're not surprised when rappers and celebrities have protection. But when it comes to kids at schools and public events, it's crazy. I don't understand it. I do think more security with trained and people who are trained in firearms and trained in some type of martial combat or, or just physical combat, right? So I think more security is good for protection. More security is good for creating more jobs. And that's period. And it doesn't even have to be as far as like shootings and all that stuff. They could just be there for another adult in the room for uh, mature situations. Breaking up fights and conflicts because those are way more prevalent in schools and in public areas. A potential fight, they'll break it up. They'll handle the situation. 
and just being another perspective in terms of um you know a person who's trained knows what they're talking about and could be a perspective for someone who's thinking about being a security guard or a cop inside the vicinity so more security my first solution shouldn't be a crazy one but it's definitely a solution second solution after really thinking about people who own guns my personal belief is that I don't think anyone under the age of 25 with mental illness should possess a gun. Period. If you are under the age of 25 and you have a mental illness, I do not think you should possess a gun. I don't care what the mental illness is. If you had some type of psych evaluation where you're not fully mentally stable, you should not own a gun. A lot of these cases, unfortunately, are people who are relatively young doing something very, very stupid. Whether it's bullying, harassment, or feeling absolutely alone, they they take their anger on the innocent. It's disgusting. It's in, it's non-defensible. But that's why I don't think anybody at the age of 25 should have this. When you grow up past the age of 25, you really learn who you are at that point. You really learn how, how to cope with society. You really learn how to be an adult and cope with your mental illness. Before that, I don't think you do, and you lash out and all that stuff. Arguably, you could you could argue that anybody with a mental illness shouldn't be able to possess it, but there's a lot more nuance later on because people, you know, at older ages can get a mental illness but be very functional in terms of society. Once they, you know, they have a muff experience, they know how to cope with their mental illness, they know how to be a functional citizen in America, functional person. I do think there's a certain time you get that, and I think above the age of 25 is when generally it would be okay. So anybody under the age of 25 should, with a mental illness, with a mental illness, should not be able to possess any type of gun, period. That is my standard. Next. You know how we have physical checkups, right? You know, you do physicals to check up how your body is throughout the day, check if you're feeling well. Well, I don't know if this is a thing, personally, but something that should be added into those physical checkups, that should be just included, mental checkups. It definitely seems to me that getting a mental checkup is such more, more of a daunting task in terms of, like, it's more unnatural and we do need to make it more natural. And one way to do that is mental checkups. You know, you go to your doctor, you check how you're feeling. You should go to your doctor or it should be included in the in whatever plan you have to also see a mental doctor. See how you're feeling. See how your mental capacity is looking like. Be able to psychologically evaluate you. See how stable you are. And they, be, they probably could uh, witness and find out the people who are mentally unstable either get them more help or diagnose them as someone with a mental illness. So that way, if they're under the age of 25, they cannot possess a gun. I know. I know. Great. I know. Great. It's a great idea. I know. I don't think it would be too crazy. You know, people do get physical checkups like once a year, mental checkup once a year. It's nothing crazy. By the age of 13, that's like 13 checkups. If you, if someone talks to you in an unbiased way, that's not part of your friend group or family group, it is a whole different experience in terms of revealing who you are and your emotions. I've never gotten a mental checkup personally. I probably should, but 
I think that'll be very healthy and it should be more of a standard. That is my third solution. Fourth solution, media and social media to stop freaking broadcasting the violence all over the world. One thing is very clear. The only reason why they're broadcasting these this stuff, the media, is because it makes them money. They don't care about the people who are actually dying. You know the amount of clicks, the amount of revenue they're making. Boost. They don't even think twice about broadcasting. They'll do whatever it takes to be the first person to publish this article. Because they know it will be trending. They'll know people will get emotional. And they'll know people will scream and yell. And the political and there will be political debates. And it will be even get even louder and louder and louder. Which is better for the media. But what it does is it perpetuates an idea in the mentally ill. That if I want to get known... If I want people to care about me, if I want to lash out on humans and society, I know the way to do it. The media has shown me the way to do it. A mass shooting. It, that is why we have to have a solution. Because y'all did such a good job in your media thing, you don't even care. Then now, the not the norm, but... There's an idea that if you are mentally ill enough that you can commit such an atrocity. And something to even add on to that. Because we know that a lot of these people want attention. It's clear as day. We see the signs. They make YouTube videos. Why? For attention. They outline their entire plan. They try to even tell people about what they're about to do. Because why? They want to be heard. They want attention. There's a reason why the guy live streamed him doing that despicable act towards black people. He wanted the attention. So what the media and what social media is doing is giving him the exact attention. Giving them the exact attention that they want. So you're perpetuating madness and you're giving them the attention that they always wanted. Which again, perpetuates the idea if I want attention, now I'll commit the atrocity. Stop broadcasting violence. Stop. It's important for people to know, I agree. And eventually they will find out in terms of like people sharing what has happened to them. But because of all like the the need and necessity to constantly broadcast these mass shootings and put it in the front page and all that stuff, there is a realization that an atrocity means clicks, which means intention. And that's just the case. YouTube should have been uh, completely aware that someone was making videos like this and did something about it. Twitch should have realized, oh, someone's doing something like this and did something about it. Media and these social media companies, be better. Stop letting this stuff happen. Stop letting the signs go free. And stop letting these people who are crazy psychopaths who plan to commit atrocity, stop giving them more attention. So yeah, that is another one of my solutions. I think that is four solutions down. Pretty good so far. So my fifth solution is a lot more unlikely, but I do think it has some value. And I'm curious to see the counter argument for it. I feel like we do have the technology to make sure that this will be the case. Obviously, except 
the exception would be like the military, right? The military would be the exception to this rule. All guns should have fingerprint scanners to the buyers. Mm. Mm. What this will allow is this will allow people who buy the gun, use the gun. It would permit people who buy the gun not just give their guns to everybody else. It would ha If they plan to give their gun to someone else, they have to re-register that gun into their name. It would make sure that people do not just take someone's gun and steal someone's gun and use it for evil purposes. There are so many... There's such a... It's such a big solution for adding a fingerprint scanner to the buyer. And I don't... If you're a gun buyer, I don't know why you would be pissed at it either. Buy a gun, register with it with your fingerprint. Why would you be angry at that? I don't really understand that at all. Because you have a fingerprint scanner on your phone. So you know it's your phone. So nobody else touches your phone. You wouldn't want nobody else to touch your guns, right? Fingerprint scanner on your gun. You wouldn't want anybody to go inside your house. Fingerprint scanner in your house. I feel like it's such a good solution that I do not see a potential like clapback on it. And even the people who go like, oh, it's a constitutional right. I agree constitutional right for you to have your gun and nobody else to take your gun what else do you need bro you don't need anything else i don't think you do next solution is mandatory gun training and everyone needs a gun license um i went back and forth with this in terms of the idea that people should just have guns and honestly i don't think so i think everybody should have gun training for one um you know at the end of the day you have a firearm that's very dangerous you should probably have training, period. I, the, there's no logic for me in terms of having a potentially dangerous, not even, it doesn't even go that far. Having a type of technology or skill that requires some certain level of training and expertise to use it properly and efficiently should always require training and certification, period. Using a gun, driving, uh, getting certified in CPR, it should always require certification and training. So I don't think, I don't see any logical solution that gun won't be one of them. Even if, I feel like there also could be an added clause in there that if you're a parent or someone you know who is an expert at guns, who already has a gun license, trains you, then I think it's good enough. They show their training, they pass the test, they get their gun. I don't think there is a that would be anything crazy. Not only that, the certification will will be binding to you, and it will be much more easy to kind of track down the people who have illegal versus legal firearms. Other than like a receipt and everything, which you have to track down all that. It's better if you just have a certification and a license. You just carry your license around. Just like everybody else. So I'm full in with the uh, mandatory gun training. Uh, people people who are rational have said all the times that my dad taught me how to use a gun. My mother taught me to use the gun. My friend taught me to use a gun. So if you've been taught how to use a gun, then you show your, your merit with your your course. You show, how you're, you show your skill. You show what you know. Get your certification in and out. That simple. That simple. And then, uh, last one, no public showcasing of ARs, period. 
I don't think people should be just showing ARs on any platform. Period. Now, it does get in a weird kind of circumstance when it comes to, like, freedom of speech, right? Because there's really no limitations of what you can show online. But I do think there is limitations of what you can show online, and then you'll get arrested. AORs, I don't think they need to be online. I don't think people need to be showing it on social media. If they want to show it in their music, I guess. But I think what you could do, right... Don't make it a thing where people are getting jailed for like showing their ARs online. One, nobody needs to know you have an AR. They don't. Um, it gets tricky with the military because I've done it before where I took a picture of me with my rifle before while I'm in the military. And that's one thing. But even you could argue, you know, they don't even need to do that. So in terms of social media platforms, in terms of casual use, maybe even in terms of not being in the military. The social media will not allow you to show pictures of your AR on social media. I know YouTube probably doesn't let you do that. TikTok is owned by China. They'll do what they want. And then certain companies will go like, okay, yeah, it's under, it's against our policy for you, for us to show your ARs. So certain uh, entertainers also won't be showing their ARs on their music videos or whatnot, unless these companies are like corrupt or anything. It's one of those ones that, probably could have a lot of value because it lessens the romanticization of ARs. ARs still only attribute to like 3% of gun deaths, period. People overestimate how how much deaths that ARs actually uh, attribute to. Most deaths are due to handguns. But at the end of the day, lessening the romanticization of ARs could be very beneficial to society as a whole. So those are my seven solutions. I'm very curious to what you guys think about my solutions as well. Let me know what you guys think about it. I'm probably going to post a segment on YouTube to see people's thoughts. Hey, you may disagree with me. If you have a good counter argument, I'm more than willing to listen. And that's how I am. Discussion, debate, and solution. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. Of course, y'all have a good one. Take care and peace.